Hello, and welcome back to Nomads UNI. The podcast platform that I record from is Anchor, and they give me all kinds of very helpful analytics. And one of them is the demographic of the people that are listening to our podcast. And I was delighted to see that consistently, most of our listeners uh, to Nomads UNI are between the ages of 18 and 22. And many of the people we find too, as we travel uh, doing our van life, that most of the questions and some of our greatest conversations are often with college age people, people under the age of 30 anyway. So I wanted to record a podcast, especially for those of you within this demographic, because truth be told, (laughs) my heart is so full of hope for your future. I cannot tell you how much I deeply desire the well-being of every part of you. For years, I've been taking hikes with the young men and women that I've mentored over the years. And a lot of those hikes were around Cooper Mountain, where we lived in Beaverton, Oregon, and what we used to call the killer hike. And there's a big, nice six-mile loop. Other times, I'd be hiking with some of these young men and women up the sand dunes in Florence, Oregon. And many of those young people can tell you that what I like to do is invite them to reach down and get a little pinch of sand and then isolate a single grain of sand on their index finger, okay? So imagine you and I are on this hike together and I've asked you to do this thing. So imagine you're seeing that little grain on the tip of your finger. Think of that little grain of sand as a visual aid representing the time span of your life. Let's let's be optimistic. Let's say 100 years. And then imagine looking over the entire 30 some odd miles of dunes and think about how many grains of sand might there be on all those dunes and maybe even going all the way to the beach. What if you added all the other beaches in the whole world and all of that sand that is under the sea? And even if you could calculate that number and each grain represented 100 years, you would still not even begin to grasp how long your soul will live on an eternity. I hope you'll stick with me through this hour together so that we can circle back to this idea with some of the principles that I am hoping will help you finish strong. This may be the first Nomads You and I podcast that you have ever listened to. So I thought I would share a little bit about our story. And then after that, I want to talk a little bit about traveling because that seems to be something that interests people under the age of 30 and just what we have learned and what we've done to add meaning to our travels. After that, let's meander and talk a little bit about the future and what you've been handed, the advantages and the challenges of your generation, and some elements that I'd like you to consider that can very much play into your success in life. Ultimately, I hope you'll find this podcast to be very encouraging. If you dig down into our archives, we start with my husband and my love story. It's about a 30-minute podcast. That one has had more listens than any other by far. And if you're mostly here wondering about our van life, we have several podcasts that are just about that. And so those are called Preparing for the Nomad Quest, Our Quest to Visit 100 Churches, Finding Our Best Timing to Live Nomadically, and then a couple on our brightest moments 
months after we had completed a year's travel. But for now, I'll just throw a little bit more information than what I had shared at a lecture that I recently did about the day we took off to live nomadically. On the afternoon of July 21st, 2020, I was wearing a t-shirt that I had found at a garage sale that read, The Adventure Begins. We had just finished our goodbye lunch with my friend Dina, and just before we pulled out to our new life as nomads, she snapped a photo of us next to our van that we had named the Fresh Prince, flashing her a happy thumbs up next to our Move Me license plate, which is my two-word prayer to God. That's what I was hoping for on this journey, was to be very, very much moved. It seemed everything that my husband Mark and I had experienced and labored over during our 41 years of married life was about to play into a story more grand than we could have ever written on our own. We started our engines to our special nomad song, the live recording at Bonnaroo of Zach Brown's Free Into the Mystic. Now, I don't know any other song by this musician. It's not like I'm a fangirl, but this is the song that really speaks to our heart about this adventure. And with that, we were officially on the ruthless pursuit of our mission to live on the road for two years, visit at least 100 conservative churches of Christ, and write about all the amazing things that we were going to learn on the way. Usually we would stop and stay with Christians, and I remember that was about a four or five hour drive, and so I remember we stopped and got some fresh Oregon peaches to contribute to the meal that our friend that night would be feeding us. And we stopped also near Mount St. Helens, which was special to us because it had erupted just before our first wedding anniversary, coating our motorcycle with a thick layer of ashes. Back in 1979, we knew that we would marry within 24 hours of knowing each other. And plan A was that we were going to marry after I turned 18 in a field of wildflowers after I graduated from high school. But instead, we married four months after meeting during my Christmas break of my senior year of high school. I know, it's not something I recommend, but all glory to God, it definitely worked out. So on this first day of the rest of our lives, this first day of living nomadically, we stopped near Mount St. Helens Mountain and saw there a field of wildflowers. And so... We thought, it's first day of the rest of our lives, let's exchange vows again here. And so we just grabbed a handful of daisies, and with each daisy, we handed each other a promise that we were going to keep to one another as we started this new life together. So flash forward about 18 months, when our journey was just past the midway point. I was exiting a women's lecture at Florida College in February of 22, and Paula Walker approached me saying that she could see me speaking at the lectures one day to tell my encouraging travel stories. I kind of looked at her like, who are you talking to? Seriously? I felt totally unqualified, but knew the things that I had witnessed could be incredibly encouraging for everyone. So I said I'd be open to it. So in June, like four months later, Paula officially invited me to speak at the 2023 lectures to encourage our sisters in Christ with what I had witnessed around the country among the Christians that we had visited. By the end of our two and a half year quest, we had traveled 64,000 miles through 45 states 
and trekked through 27 gorgeous national parks. And we had connected with hundreds and hundreds of fascinating people. And somebody has noted, traveling makes you speechless, then turns you into a storyteller. I have found that to be true. So, so many stories. I mean, when you've poured yourself into such an overwhelming pursuit, there's just no short way to explain what just happened. And how on earth would you ever fit that into like a 45-minute talk? Confession, my rough draft started at 55 pages. I mean, I think that's enough to talk for six hours. And that was just some of the highlights. It took me months to whittle it down to 11. And I'll leave a link to that presentation at the college in the description section of this podcast. There should be also an audio version available as well that can be downloaded. But it's about this podcast and another called More Encouragement for Sisters in Christ. And a third one that my husband and I did together called Thank You, Brother. Those all tell some of the additional stories and ideas that I wanted to share at that lecture. Some of you listening to this are in college now, whether at Florida College in Temple Terrace, Florida, where I spoke, or elsewhere. The other listeners as well who have opted for trade school or are preparing for your future in some other outside-the-box ways. Just know this. We have prayed for all God's best in your life. And as I've met and mentored young people all over the country, we have good reason to believe that you are going to soar. And one of the reasons that you're going to soar is because you have found a good network. We are all up against a lot early in life. And the church, of course, is God's best answer for that network. But also for those who are looking for an environment that they can get an education that supports their active pursuit of holiness, Florida College is a good choice that many have found to have a lot of long range advantages. It's not the only choice, but it's a great choice. I mean, obviously, anyone can find darkness anywhere if they are looking for it. But if you are looking for a place that values virtue as God defines it, I think you will be glad that you chose Florida College. One of the biggest advantages at Florida College is that every student gets to take in Doy Moyer's class called Foundations for a Biblical Worldview. I know a certainty that every heart that walks through the logic of that class and embraces the absolute truths from God in that class will have their head on straight for life. And the value of that alone over a lifetime would seem to me to be very much worth the cost of tuition. <laughs> Plus, as a side note, you never know who you're going to meet. And probably in most cases, who you're going to meet are lifelong loyal friends. The college has really given a leg up to so many people in so many ways. So I definitely encourage you to at least explore this option, especially since they're offering so many degrees now. If you're going to live nomadically someday, make a plan that ensures you have during your travels the single most spiritually productive time of your life. Because the thing is, God knows the score. He knows the good that you're going to do in all those private moments. He sees the deeds that you've done in secret. And his smile upon your life and his words, well done, are all that matter. I'd also recommend this. Ask yourself, why do I want to travel? I figured out the root of my motivations by narrowing it down to a list of verbs. At the root, I wanted to love, inspire, explore, connect, grow, renew, learn, help, I wanted to experience adventure, 
light, clarity. I wanted to feel strong, faithful, and joyful, and just know what all of my other options were for how I wanted to write the last chapter of my life. I wanted to support the struggling. Why do you want to travel? I also thought about how a lot of people collect themed items along their travels. You know, some people, it's these stamps that you get as you go through national parks. You can, you have this little book and so you get your, your book stamped. Or some people have a fabulous collection of refrigerator magnets, uh, you know, postcards, whatever. As I thought about it, I realized it's important to me to instead collect intangible things that I could keep forever. I wanted to collect spiritual fruit. I wanted to collect treasure in heaven. I wanted to collect answered prayers and wisdom. I wanted to collect people that would become like family. I wanted to collect perspective, fresh ideas, knowledge, and a fantastic collection of photographs. When you think about traveling, if you think about traveling, what are you going to collect? So many college-aged men and women have told me that they're inspired by our road trip and want to take one of their own. I don't discourage them. What if every time we went out into the world, instead of experiencing our journeys for merely our own thrill and discovery, we instead put front and center of our travels, our purpose for living, helping others discover the ultimate, that is eternal life by telling them what Jesus told us to tell them. Maybe you've already figured this out years ago, but I've just in the recent years discovered doing this can be as easy as thinking fearlessly, putting a few Bibles or other biblical resources in my backpack, praying, and then just enjoying people and watching God work. I'll never forget, for example, quickly bonding with a Chinese woman who happened to be taking the Staten Island Ferry at the same time that I was. She was touring America. We were both on our way to go see the Statue of Liberty. And as we connected, I gifted her a Bible and she was so, so delighted having never even heard of this holy book. I mean, can you imagine? I found it very helpful to ahead of time on the Bibles that I gift to strangers to highlight verses such as that help them find what God says we can do to prepare to meet him face to face and spend a joyous eternity with him. If you'd like to do your own unique version of your own van life while keeping first things first, here's what I have found other various opportunities to look like and some of the other ideas that have worked for us that have made talking to strangers our favorite part of traveling. Sometimes important conversations have opened up to us because we're just wearing t-shirts that say things like, Jesus changes everything. Or I have another t-shirt that says, there is hope for everyone. It often seems to be sometimes the least likely places that I get a, I like your shirt comment. When workers in gift shops or fellow RVers at an RV park almost invariably ask where we're from, we like to reply with our curious answer, oh, we're from everywhere now. Many of them, especially those in their 20s, are interested in learning more about our van life. So we linger for as long as we need to in order to answer our questions or learn a little bit about them and their own life goals and just speak some priceless transformative truth into their hearts. 
And as we leave, we give them a contact card and so that they can find our website. And we've had, I think at present, about 14,200 listens. So that has worked for us. Maybe t-shirts and your own podcasts and contact cards would work for you. You know, we meet all kinds of people. And I'll never forget one evening while Mark was recording his live internet program, my Jesus Changes Everything t-shirt caught a store employee's eye as I wandered into her shop. We talked quite deeply for well over an hour, as if we'd known each other for years. She was an educated, articulate, cheerful woman who had been married for decades to a man, had found her way out of Mormonism with some help from the Church of Christ, but a few years back had left the church to marry a woman. And by the way, we actually had quite a few conversations with those priceless souls that we love so much that that are presently wrapped up in this kind of darkness. But between gentleness, a warm tone, every conversation that we had was amiable, including this one. So as we conversed, we looked for common ground. We talked about how we both know that there's a God, that there's no denying that. And no matter how hard some try to push that awareness out of their minds, that deep down awareness that there must be something more, it just keeps popping up relentlessly like a life preserver underwater. Why? Because the creator put it there. Ecclesiastes 3.11 said, it is God who has placed eternity within our hearts. We both agreed on this, as well as the evidences confirming the Bible to be the perfect infallible word of God. We agreed on how pre-denominational Christianity truly is the only way to go. I brought up how many of today's denominations tell their members that they can be at peace with God and yet remain in the sin that God's word repeatedly and clearly says in writing will cost them their soul just so long as their members keep donating to that denomination. We agreed that this is the same scam that the Catholic Church used to build such beautiful cathedrals in the past by selling indulgences, which if you've not heard is a transaction between the Catholic Church and its patrons that went something like this. If you want to sleep with your neighbor's wife, fair enough. Here's the bill for how much that indulgence will cost you if you want us to talk to God into forgiving you for that. During our hour together or so, we discussed much of what Paul covered with Felix in Acts 24. That is righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come. And what God through John the baptizer lovingly but boldly told Herod in Matthew 14, it is unlawful for you to have her. Before I left, I asked if she knew how to use a Bible concordance, which she did. In preparation to meet her God, I encouraged her to compare what she was doing, as well as her modern definitions for how the Word of God defines sin. More than anything else, I emphasized what I emphasize everywhere I go. God means what he says. She could sense everything that I was sharing with her was motivated by genuine love. And she was humble, open, and welcoming as she let me say everything that God says around her challenges. Things that needed to be said for her spiritual and eternal well-being. 
She agreed that she felt our meeting had been divinely appointed and said she was excited to listen to my podcast. She even agreed that those who love others best are the ones who tell them the truth, even when the truth is frightening to both speaker and listener. I admired her teachable attitude something that is too rare in every circle. I'd met her in a part of the country where the New Age movement thrives. And of course, she is not the only open heart so eager to discover or rediscover the truth in this dark world. Over time, the failure of sage burning and and mantras and transcendental meditation and other disappointments start to build up until many just finally walk away. That's the trend statistically, you know that people become generally more conservative morally and politically as they age. I mean, this makes sense when seekers continue to keep their eyes open to long-term consequences of various man-made worldviews and never cease to seek the truth. It's pretty easy to tell which worldview is from above when you follow the trail of sexually transmitted diseases, the murder of pre-born children, fatherless children, drug addiction, human trafficking, slavery, alcoholism, broken vows. It is not rocket science. The wisdom from above, as described in the word of God, works to prevent and solve every social problem on the planet because it's from the creator of the planet. This reality is self-evident and is one of the strongest cases that you can make for the Bible's inspiration. All right, so we have talked about throwing a Bible in your backpack when you're out and about because you never know who you're going to meet. We have talked about wearing a t-shirt that starts a conversation. So here are some other things that have worked for us that may work for you. If you are one of the many young people that have spoken to us about your own dream to one day venture out and make the world a better place to reach as many people as we could, we put a big white vinyl Nomads You and I sticker on our van on both sides, passenger door, driver door. And in doing so, we have received texts from people who saw us on the road. Sometimes we'll come out of a grocery store and there will be someone there near the van waiting for us to come back so we can have a good talk. One woman took a big stack of our Fresh Start books after we spoke to pass out to the people that she meets because she was so enthusiastic about what we were doing. One woman that I'll never forget walked up to the van confessing, I have to tell you, my husband and I have been reading your blog and we are both crying. I mean, that meant so much to me that she would let me know that they're being moved by the things that have moved us, that people are doing all over the country to the glory of God. I checked in with her to see if there was something specific that she wanted to talk about, and she wanted to know mostly how we determine which churches to go visit. So I told her that we look for congregations that are restoring New Testament Christianity and how that means going back to what God's word says we need to do to be saved, worshiping how he said he wants to be worshiped, calling the bride of Christ only the names that her bridegroom has chosen, freeing ourselves from all man-made power structures or leadership positions not found in the Bible's blueprint and so on. She was all ears and also happily accepted a fresh start. 
So I'd encourage you to just put your website. It may even be the website of your home congregation or of podcasts that you feel best address what the world needs to hear to become a part of the solution. What works best for us is what I think would also work for anyone. And that is simply, again, to enjoy people and happily or even playfully jump into conversations with them as if you've always known them. One of these conversations happened in Sevierville, Tennessee. We were quarantining for a couple of weeks upon the request of our hosts after we had been exposed to COVID. We never got COVID, but while we were there, a guy walked past my RV site in a printed t-shirt that read, Stand in the Gap. So I shouted in a friendly way toward him, Hey, are you standing in the gap today? We had a good long talk and he turned out to be a Baptist preacher who, after a good conversation, we gifted a copy of Your Fresh Start that includes a chapter on how to restore all those components of New Testament Christianity so that he could put together everything he had read in Scripture and connect the dots in such a way that he would have the opportunity to steer his congregation toward building all things according to the pattern, Hebrews 8.5. By the time we parted ways, he said he had almost read the whole book and that he loved it. I just find most people want to talk. And when they don't, that's okay too. I also have little cards that are the size of a business card. They're black and white. And on one side, they say only God. And on the other side, I have printed out on address labels, scriptures. I designed and bought these online. And so what I like to do with these is leave them at beautiful scenic places. As a more honest alternative to often, you know, there's the evolutionary propaganda that is so often pushed on the signage in and around gorgeous creation and around so many beautiful natural wonders. I actually just leave them everywhere. I just love the idea of knowing that God's providence has the power to have just the right person find those cards at just the right time. I have an eye doctor friend who told me, Cindy, 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 I have to tell you this. One of my patients came in, had just hit a wall in life, and chaos had broken out in his life, and he did not know what his next move would be. And so he's in his car, and he is overwhelmed and breaks suddenly so as not to bump into the bumper ahead of him. And that bumper ahead of him had a little sticker on it that said, only God. And that man was like, that's it. Yes, that's my answer. So that was inspiring to me. I'd once seen a little bumper sticker like that, and that was why I had had those business cards made. At any rate, I have left these everywhere from the French Quarter in New Orleans, on the campus at Berkeley, California, on the stairs leading up to the Supreme Court, and many, many points in between, so that Providence can see to it that the right people will find it in the right moment and realize that no matter what they're facing... God is their only true answer overall. 
I'll never forget on a previous road trip a few years back when some of my besties and I were holding one of the only God cards in order to photograph it with us holding it on the steps leading up to the Supreme Court. And I remember this guy shouted our direction, what does it mean? And I happily shouted back, it means only God could have given us the blessings we enjoy in this country and only God has the answers we need to get it set right again. So whether you travel or not, we are here to love people like God loves people, right? So if we travel, it's wise to use some creativity and introspection to figure out how to make that central. And if we don't travel much, that's okay too. Because the truth is, the most moving adventures do not always mean skydiving or swimming with sharks or jumping off cliffs, right? but rather risking yourself by leaving a little piece of your time and love behind in the hearts of those that you meet along the way. Everyone has deep longings inside for something more. And it just, it reminds me of what C.S. Lewis said when he noted, if I find in myself a desire which no experience in the world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. Probably earthly pleasures were never meant to satisfy it, but only to arouse it, to suggest the real thing. I must keep in myself the desire of my true country, which I shall not find until after death. I must never let it get snowed under or turned aside. I must make it the main object of life to press on to that other country and to help others do the same, unquote. My listeners, I'm sorry, life is going to get hard. Maybe it already has. And I want to love you by saying some things about that, that I hope will stick with you to ease your way. Long before any popular thought leader said, quote, find the heaviest thing you can lift in life and carry it, unquote, Jesus said in Matthew 16, 24 through 26, take up your cross and follow me. A cross is a heavy thing, but glory waits on the other side of stewarding hard things. Romans 2.10 says, There will be glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, and that glory is beyond anything that you can imagine. For Romans 8.18 says, quote, The sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed to us, unquote. Truly, it's the difficult roads in life that often lead to beautiful destinations. Of course, every generation has some advantages that the previous generation did not. And it's hard to even know how good we have it when we've had those advantages during our entire existence. But every generation, of course, also has some very real disadvantages. Disadvantages that take people out, but have the potential to build spiritual muscle if you just keep your head while you're going against the current. In the 1940s and 50s, restorationists argued about how to do good works. Should we help orphans as individuals or should we create institutions to help orphans? Today, the arguments are more around how much can I drink alcohol? How much clothing do I have to wear? 
How much of the things in media can I watch that God hates? We no longer argue as much about how to do good works as we argue about just how holy must I be. Always remember, the question will always be not so much what we are going to do about the sins of the previous cultures that our fathers and grandfathers were blind to, but the most pressing question will always be this, what sins of the present culture am I being soft on and much too tolerant of that my children may come back and say to me, why on earth did you not stand against that darkness? Your disadvantage is obvious. You are baptized in a culture that is more morally dark than you can even realize because you've never known what it's like to live where good is considered good and evil is considered evil. We are designed to adjust to our environments, but when it comes to evil, we must not become blind to it. Even believers will sometimes get sucked into glorifying Things like staying broken or lowering every standard in dirty, chaotic ways where TV drones on all day, every day that keeps us, quote, slouching toward Gomorrah, unquote. Don't be like the rest of them, my listeners. I want to say to you something similar to what Mordecai said to his niece, Queen Esther, in chapter 4, verse 14 of of the book of Esther. When the nation of Israel was on the brink, he said to her, what I say to you, perhaps you were born for such a time as this. After all, God decided the time of your birth, so he must believe in your ability to stand firm in representing and promoting the ideal in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity, showing yourself an example of those who believe. 1 Timothy 4.12 May you never ever give up on the ideal, including the ideal of a completely restored New Testament church. People will try to kill the ideal, just like Cain did when he slew his brother Abel, but his life only got worse after that. Build on what the previous generations has started. No one needs to arrogantly attack the less than perfect efforts of a previous generation. Learn from their mistakes and do better and hope your children will learn from your own mistakes. We simply can't repent for a previous generation's sins, as some are presently insisting. Their opportunity to repent is gone, but we can create a better culture for future generations when we repent. You will, like previous generations, be called to be willing to be hated for doing what is right. I've been hated, and so I can say with experience, it's not as hard to be hated when you expect it. And when it comes from the right people for the right reasons, see it for what it is. It's a badge of honor. 
For Jesus said, Blessed are you when men hate you, and ostracize you, and insult you, and scorn your name as evil for the sake of the Son of Man. Be glad in that day, and leap for joy. For behold, your reward is great in heaven. For in the same way their fathers used to treat the prophets, unquote. The tip of the iceberg is this. During our travels, someone left a nasty note on my windshield calling me a name. But I had been expecting that to happen eventually since I publicly take a stand on the most controversial moral topics in our culture. So so it didn't hit me that hard. I just thought, ah, there it is. I was wondering when that would show up. I was even going to keep it as a souvenir, but my husband (laughs) discarded it before I could. When you are hated by all the right people, it's a sign that you're on the right track. The Bible says you smell like death to them. 2 Corinthians 2.16 Eternal death because you're a walking example of what they're terrified of. And they're terrified of this. You might be right. Maybe they do have a soul that unless they repent is condemned to an eternity outside of the light and the love of God. So I'm encouraging you to do this. Stand together in your generation against the darkness and do so united with all the others in the body of Christ. Face the darkness like buffalo. So I don't don't know if you've heard about this, but in a fierce prairie storm, cattle often get spooked and turn tail and run from the storm. Not buffalo. Buffalo wait for the storm to crest the peak of the mountaintop. And as the storm rolls over the ridge, the buffalo herd charges head on at full speed straight into the storm as fast as they can. Thus coming out of the storm faster, stronger, and united. Run through every storm in life. Face it head on with courage. And in that way, you too will be through it and on the other side of it more quickly. So switching gears a bit, I also want to say this. Sometimes people wonder which congregations we chose to visit. In many cases, we've visited ones that just happened to be on our route. But in many other cases, we aimed to visit congregations that remind us of those buffalo running toward the storm. Congregations who had a reputation for teaching the whole counsel of God, regardless of what's trending in the culture, no matter what it costs them. Congregations that, to the best of our knowledge, have the courage to stand firm against the moral issues that shipwreck souls, whether that be sexual recklessness or the recreational use of mind-altering, heart-numbing substances of any kind, or as Malachi 2.14 puts it, dealing treacherously with the wife of one's youth by not honoring what Jesus himself says on the topic of marriage. Matthew 5.31-32 and Matthew 19. We want to thank those brethren who are enthusiastic about moral excellence. Because of the accessibility of Spiritual Poison Online, I have no doubt that sexual impurity is the sin that is taking out more soldiers of Christ on the front lines of spiritual battle than any other sin. Take this to heart. Your sensitivity or callousness to moral darkness will be in direct proportion 
to how much you've exposed yourself to God's light and how much you've exposed yourself to the world's filth. The enemy of your soul and mine wants us to stare into the darkness long enough to grow an appetite for sexual recklessness. The enemy of your soul and mine doesn't want you and I to see God. So here's a heads up of how he slowly markets evil in the culture. Quote, first we overlook evil, then we permit evil, then we legalize evil, then we promote evil, then we celebrate evil, then we persecute those who still call evil evil. Unquote. Dwight Longenecker. Think about this. What would our culture look like if instead of using sex recreationally like it's nothing, if we instead considered it so incredibly holy, symbolic, sacred, and priceless that we only had sexual experiences with our spouse? The thing is, even if this was the only sin that was collectively repented of in Nineveh fashion, cold turkeyed, it would raise the standard of living for the very poorest. It would ensure that virtually every child has all the emotional, financial, and spiritual advantages that come along with having both a mom and a dad. It would eventually vacate orphanages. Repentance of this one sin would remove the strain on the foster care system and would prevent every case of child molestation as well as every future case of sex trafficking and exploitation. If fornication alone was repented of, it would save us the $16 billion we spend annually treating the 20 million new STD infections, and we could put those savings toward researching curing heart disease, cancer, and diabetes. The actual leading causes of death for around 3 million people every year. A return to God's divinely set moral boundaries would wipe out AIDS in one generation. An expenditure that averages $380,000 per case over a lifetime for the new 40,000 cases annually. Sexual purity would even lower the divorce rate. It would end the abortion debate because abortion would be almost unheard of. The positive ripple effects of living out God's instructions in this one area are immeasurable and incalculable. Everyone who tells the God-given truth on sexual purity are often referred to by the culture as haters, when actually they are loving, sexually reckless people the best. Why? Because when they tell them what God says is true, they are given that opportunity to have a chance to purify themselves before they meet their creator face to face and not reap all of the painful consequences that I've just described. We're not judging. We are standing firm on what the Supreme Judge has already said is the truth. We stand firm for the eternal, physical, and mental well-being of the souls that we love. 
Listen, if you are involved in this kind of self-destruction, the truth is you have been lied to and are being used by our culture left and right like a pawn for others to gain all kinds of advantages. That's not love. They are not your ally. Any real ally does not withhold the cure from the dying. Thank heaven for the courage of those congregations that we visit that expose the unfruitful deeds of darkness by standing firm against the tides of culture. When you're at a crossroad and you're trying to decide whether or not you're about to resist a temptation, be kind to your future self. As we encounter the people that are struggling with these kinds of sins, let's remind them, your Heavenly Father adores your soul and wants to set you free. He wants to be the love of your life throughout all eternity. See him there, like the father of Luke 15, waiting on the road that is your life, with his arms wide open, eyes full of longing tears. Abandon the world now and run to God. The sacrifices that you will make to do so are as a fragrant, sweet aroma to him. Yes, the pain of repentance is hard before it's the best thing you've ever done in your life. What do you do when your actions have denied Christ? I think Peter's example, going out and weeping bitterly, is a good place to start. But even before all that had happened, our God of hope told Peter, Once you have returned again, strengthen your brothers. Luke twenty-two thirty-two. So here's something to include as you go about strengthening your brothers. Always remember this as you're deciding what to participate in, what to keep in your life, what to remove from your life, what your next step is going to be, all right? Wisdom does not need to be forced to do the more excellent thing. Wisdom voluntarily restrains itself, even from things that are optional, but less excellent. Those gray areas. Wisdom does not need to be forced to do the more excellent thing. Wisdom realizes that some choices will weaken you, though they are not expressly forbidden. And some choices will strengthen you, though they are not expressly commanded. But when the less excellent choices accumulate, we become weaker and weaker, and those will eventually lead into the deep, depressing pit of sin. I have regrets. You have regrets. And the best thing to do during times of regret is to entirely trust the mercy and the grace of God and to turn your focus after your repentance outward to strengthen your brothers just like Peter did so that they do not fall into that same pit. My prayer for you, my listeners, is that you will keep yourself where the light is, that you will wake up every morning realizing something that Hartzell Wilson said, quote, this is the beginning of a new day. You have been given this day to use it as you will. You can waste it or you can use it for good. What you do today is important because you're exchanging a day of your life for it. When tomorrow comes, this day will be gone forever. In its place is something that you have left behind. Let it be something good, unquote. My prayer for you, my listener, is that you will keep on growing. 
Since God causes all things to work together for good, perhaps the best question becomes, what does God want me to be doing with this moment in front of me? Where shall I choose to focus my thoughts right now? Is there something around the situation that I'm in that can be changed? Which virtues and fruits of the Spirit and Scripture might help resolve this challenge or at least help me cope effectively with it? I'd like to conclude this podcast with some thoughts about why we are given life, and that is to love and be loved, Matthew 12, 30 through 31. Isn't this beautiful, this ancient Chinese proverb? It says, quote, an invisible thread connects those who are destined to meet, regardless of time, place, or circumstance. The thread may stretch or tangle, but it will never break. May you be open to each thread that comes into your life, the golden ones and the coarse ones, and may you weave them into a brilliant and beautiful life, unquote. Okay, so here is a very practical way that one can weave those beautiful golden threads through your life. If you have exceptionally wise parents or grandparents or other relatives, even church family, you may want to consider recording yourself interviewing your Christian grandparents and parents, asking them your own thought out list of questions that you believe would be the most meaningful and relevant for both you. Who knows, maybe your children and grandchildren way off in the future may even hear this treasured recording one day. Someone has noted, quote, there are many stories just waiting to be told, stories that bring us together and let us see things in a whole new light, stories that connect us to our roots and one another, unquote. The wise souls in your life have inspirational stories that need to live on after they're gone. I personally cherish the five hours of my late mother's wisdom that I can listen to whenever I want. And I'd love that for you too. So I'm thinking about that imagery that we started with when we took in our imaginations this walk together and you reached down and grabbed a little pinch of sand and isolated one little grain of sand and thought about that as your one precious, precious life on this planet. It's amazing to think that that's how long God is asking us to be faithful to him and to make all these hard choices so that we can enjoy an eternity that is more vast in comparison to all the grains of sand that that have ever been created. He asks so little of us in comparison to what he gives. It's exciting to think about what amazing opportunities might God be up to in your life. Who knows? But we do know this from Isaiah 30, verse 18. God says, quote, The Lord longs to be gracious to you, and therefore he waits on high to have compassion on you. For the Lord is a God of justice. How blessed are all those who long for him, unquote. That's what I hope for you. I hope in all your longings, you will long mostly for him. I can't wait to hear how you lived a good story. Henry David Thoreau says, the world is but a canvas to the imagination. Hey, if you're going to go out on your own nomad quest, when you cycle through, I will be the eclectic little old lady probably in Wesley Chapel, all ears to hear your stories and how you found your own ways to give your travels through life a spiritual focus. May you thrive in every way. God bless.